Hello and welcome to The Comedian's Outlook. This is a podcast where I, Luke Anthony, speak to fellow comedians about their life on the comedy circuit. This week I'm joined by comedian Nessie Ward, who has been on the comedy circuit for about four years. She started her career as a teacher, and after she retired she ran herself mental and decided to do a comedy class with Logan Murray. She went on to perform regularly on the comedy circuit and set up many comedy nights up and down the country. She now runs two nights, Wine Gums and Baby Wine Gums. Well, without further ado, this is my conversation with Nessie. So please tell us, Nessie, how, how did you first get into comedy? When, when did you start? Well, I think it's, practic- I think it's four years ago um, I went on the Logan Murray course because, as you said, I'd retired from teaching and I went travelling and, and I was a good wife for about two weeks, but then I was going bonkers, you know. Um, every lesson at school being 45 minutes, and I found myself doing stuff around the house for 45 minutes and then thinking, oh, what can I do then? I just wasn't relaxing. And then one night I went to see Joe Caulfield in the, in the theatre and um, she was telling stories about her husband and I thought, ah, oh, I could do that about my husband, you know, because he's a bit on the spectrum, he's addicted to sport... And so I went home to him and I said, oh, I've, I've found what I want to do now, I'm retired. Um, and it's coming up to Christmas. Could you get me a comedy course for my Christmas present? And he went, no, I didn't. At Christmas came and went and there wasn't anything. And then I tried to do it on my own. I couldn't. And then the next Christmas I got it for myself and I went on the course. So you, you basically asked him to pay for something for you to talk about him on stage. <laughs> I did. And how did he feel about that? Well, he was fine, actually. He was absolutely fine. And when I first did my first set after this course, I had five minutes and I did it in the open mic. It was a lot about him. And I remember that first night, and he doesn't drink much at all, but that night he was in the audience and he was totally plastered. And as I walked (laughs) up to the stage, he said, Nessie, what if nobody laughs? laughs? And did they? They did. They did laugh. Brilliant. They did. So tell me about the. Um, so I understand that you you did a comedy course with uh, Logan Murray, and then you did another course with Logan Murray later. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, I did the stand up course, which got me going. Then I did done a writing course with him, and then I do some one to one with him, kind of like on FaceTime. If I need extra help, his, I, I really, really recommend his courses. He really, you know, can bring the idiot out of anything you write. You know, he, he says, have another afterthought, have another afterthought and just really muck about with it, you know, to make a joke. And then last year, I think it was in October, I did a character comedy course. Wow. And tell me about that character. What, what, what is she like? Um, well... To start with, I, you know, there was about eight of us on the course and I was umming and ahhing. What shall I do? Shall I do a teacher character? Shall I do Nessie the monster character? And then because I'd recently become a grandmother, I thought, shall I be a granny? And then it just evolved. So the beginning of the course, I still didn't know. And then it just evolved with the exercises Logan was giving us. And then I'm, I'm Granny Smith now. Your Granny Smith. Now, is that is that the set that you'd now do regularly rather than Nessie Ward? Or yes, 
Okay, so yeah. that's just it. And actually, you're going to be performing for me at my comedy club, the Bridge Comedy Club, um, on the 6th of February, which I'm really looking forward to. Yeah, so this will be the first time I, I'll have seen her perform as Granny Smith. So um, come and see her there first. Yes. Um, so you spent you spent many years as a teacher. How would you convince someone to do something they didn't want to do? So when as a teacher, you would have had many many boisterous children trying to trying to cause disruption. And how, how did you manage to get through to them when you did that? Usually involved food. So there would be like cake or sandwiches or so something. So you bribed them. Yeah, you bribed them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's obviously very good um, parenting advice as well for any anyone who's a new parent. Um, <laughs> offer them sweets, cake and sugar to, to uh, get them to do what you want them to do. But also sometimes I didn't have to bribe them because I was head of P- PSHE and part of that was teaching relationships and sex education and they really wanted to listen to that so they were very well behaved. When I was yeah. uh, when I did PSHE, I I often found that one a difficult one because the teacher that we had, I won't mention her name, but the teacher we had at the time, she used to just basically call it a reading lesson. So you'd come in and you'd have to read in that lesson because you couldn't be bothered to to do the whole sex education thing. So I learned nothing about sex and oh, those no. those things. But one week, me and my friend decided to bring in the Kama Sutra because we thought, well, we're meant to be doing sex education in this lesson. She's told us we're not going to do it, and we're actually going to be doing reading. So I thought, well, why not learn about sex then and and bring in the Kama Sutra? She confiscated it. I had, I think, two weeks of detentions, and she said that I could have it when I leave the school. I never got it back. So I always wonder what she did with it. Oh, Um, so how did you learn, Luke? Oh, (laughs) (laughs) I, I, f- I feel that the role of this, this interview has suddenly switched around and, and now me as Luke Anthony, the comedian, has been interviewed by Nessie oh, Ward. No, I, it was great because I didn't have any sex ed, so to be able to teach that. And when I first started teaching, when I was 22, and I was put in charge of um, sex education when I was 22, and I didn't really know much about it. I was a late developer. But I was told by the head teacher, tell them it's horrible, tell them it's painful, <laughs> tell them they mustn't do it. And now just being able to tell them that it is the most wonderful thing and but how to form a relationship and all of that was wonderful. But I had to get rid of my husband's surname because he was called Mr. Allcock. And I couldn't be As a comedian, Mrs. that's just too tempting, isn't it? Yeah. Well, as a sex ed teacher, Luke, I, I couldn't be yeah. Mrs. Allcock, the sex ed teacher, could I? <laughs> that wouldn't work, Mrs. Allcock. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did love teaching that and and the sexuality part of it as well. And the kids that came up to me after they'd left and came back and said, oh, I am I'm bisexual, I am gay, you know, and thanks for helping me kind of through that. And yeah, no, it's a real taboo subject. It's, it's uh, very isolating as a teenager, especially for I find for teenage girls, because it's something that it's a real it's a real difficult subject to talk about, because you at that time you don't really know. You don't really know whether whether or not it's normal to be experiencing what you're experiencing because it's also new and no one else has told you. Really, yeah. so I, I mean, stage education in schools is really important. I think it should be. I mean, I think I had mine in primary school at the end of primary school. I think my first. Yeah, that's first what they was, do now. That's still that is compulsory. Year five and six about babies, how babies are made, and everything. Yeah. But luckily, at my school, even though it's only just become statutory, but luckily. From 10 years ago, I was teaching it, right, from the little ones, four-year-olds, how to keep your body safe and 
All of that's so important. But one of the funny things I remember, and you always have teaching assistants yeah. in the class, and they were young men, you know, like you. And I was giving them a little test about stuff, and it was like, now when a man has a wet dream, a boy has a wet dream or ejaculates, how much semen comes out? You know, they knew all about these words. Is it a teaspoonful? Is it a pint? And I had a pint bottle. Or is it a litre? And one boy put his hand, I know, I know, it's a litre. You know, and all <laughs> these teachers. You could just see all these other Where teachers. Is he a bull? <laughs> it was so funny. It was, yeah, so, so many funny things happen when, you know, and I, we were also, I was so embarrassed when I first started teaching it, you know. <laughs> But I just made it really, really fun. And I had a blind boy in my class as well as well as him being okay. um, autistic. So I had to have all the touchy-feely stuff. So I had to have a penis that he could feel, you know, and all the other parts of the, you know, female anatomy, the, the boobs. And wow. he, well, he was blind. So, but they, so a lot of the time I didn't have behavior problems in my classes because they were just loved learning. So prior to doing the comedy clubs, you obviously did a fair bit on, on the comedy scene in Cambridge. Or did you do that instantly after? No, I did. Yeah, prior to this, I was doing a lot of open, open mic in London and Birmingham. I was traveling all over the place and I was getting knackered. Um, it's tiring for anyone. Yeah, it is, especially when my age. Well, I'm only 60-something. But, um, yeah, and then... In the South Coast, my friends asked me to set up a... It's a music venue, but they asked me to set up a comedy club for them in Deal, and that was great. And so a lot of these comedians have done, done, done it in Deal, and that ran for three years, and we've just finished that at the moment. Um, and then I did one at Thirsty in Cambridge. Um, yeah, so I did do open mic, and but now I'm trying to do more open mic as I'm not doing so many comedy clubs. I'm trying to do this, my character as Granny Smith, and I'm excited about getting out there as my character. And I was doing it every week, then I've been poorly with a bad ear and neuralgia, and that's kind of stopped me. So I've just got to get out there again. So how did, how did Granny Smith come about? You, we spoke briefly, it was because you became a grandma. But what, what gave, that, that was the inspiration, but how did you then go on to develop... The well, I think it was on my course and just doing different activities and, you know, just writing down things or acting out different things, but then they didn't work. And then I just found some funny things, and uh, but it can be developed. It's ongoing. I've got about 10 minutes of Granny Smith at the moment. Um, and that's a solid 10 minutes that so you're confident in that. Yeah, I yeah. am. I, but uh, things will change as I get out and, and do it more. I mean, I I just did it at open mic in Folkestone. I did it open mic in Gillingham. It's quite nice getting away from Cambridge to try it out. And it went down really, really well. And, Brilliant. Yeah, and then sometimes you go to places and there was only like four or five people in the audience, <laughs> you know. Uh, but at least it's practice. 
because it makes you do it. I'm not very good at just practicing on my own at home, or I'll start practicing and then I'll, oh, I'm hungry, or go to the fridge <laughs> or something like that. So I feel silly in the mirror <laughs> if I'm there talking to myself. <laughs> I don't find myself very funny, but audiences seem to find me funny. The sadistic, sadistic audiences that watch me and laugh at my misfortune and things, they find it funny, but I don't find it funny because I'm going through that at the time. So if I'm telling myself, I'm having to relive, relive these traumas. Um, but I... I, I think that's really interesting because creating a fight... I, I did a bit of acting when I was younger and creating 10 minutes and, like, creating a character and staying a character throughout. I've seen characters, people coming in and out of characters when... I mean, it'd be interesting to see Granny Smith MC. Do oh, you think, yeah. Do I you think she'd be suitable? I don't know. I get That's what I'm thinking. I mean, obviously, for this one, I'm just going to be myself, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But at some point, I might be Granny Smith yeah. MCing. But yeah, I've got my, a grey wig and uh, I've got funny kind of old person clothes. And I and a racks and, and... Well, it was kind of, of like things. a night. It looked like I'd been taken out of the home. <laughs> That's brilliant. <laughs> but but I, I might change that. I might just be like twin set and tweed skirt and things like that. So it's just working, work in progress, really. Although there's some bits which are really funny, and my husband even laughs and finds it funny, <laughs> so it can't be that bad. <laughs> have, you t- have you warned him that this could become you in the future? So just bear, bear, bear with me on this because this this could come true. Yeah. I could be living the future right now on stage. So uh, maybe, maybe you're setting, you're, you're giving him a bit of a warning in, yeah. in advance. Um, <laughs> But I, because you said you write still. You so you write. I mean, I still write material, and I have done. I still write my material, and then try and remember that material. But each time I do it, I rely on the writing less and less, and I just develop and try and recognise where the laughs came and or what worked, what didn't work, and then try and construct something better than the last one, even though the concept of the the set is still the same. Do you have you got to a point now where you you don't write or do you, do you still have the right to? I still write. I still write, and as I say, I still ask Logan to help me. Yeah, so Logan Murray, I might have a, a session, half an hour session, and I, when I've tried it out a few times, and then he can just make help me make bring out the idiot of it even more. Right, which is which is fantastic. He's got that gift for doing that. So um, at the moment, I'm writing something about my allotment. This is the thing. When you're an MC, you need new material each time. Yeah. Like all these, a lot of the comedians do the same set for, for one year, two years. Yeah. Whereas when you're there each month, you're trying out a bit of new material. You're doing new stuff. But which used to freak me out. But sometimes you can just have fun. Um, but also I find it quite tricky doing audience participation. And I think that comes with time. Yeah. So if you think yeah. of Ben Vandervelt, he's the most amazing MC. And he'd do, his whole set can be just interacting with the audience. Or Russell Hicks, absolutely yeah. incredible. You know, they, they, it's as if they don't have a set. They just do quarter of an hour just with the banter. Of of the audience, which is such a gift, but he reckons that it took him about ten years. They to say be able that to that's a that. good mark. Yeah. Like every comedian I hear of who's now, you know, making a a good living out of it says that it took him ten years to get good. Yeah. And then and then it took him even longer to then get paid enough money to to give up work and and things like that. Sometimes I think, oh, shall I have a guest MC? But 
my husband always says and other people know they know you you're wine gums you know they feel safe with you and you're there you're telling it doesn't really matter if you haven't got any new material just have a bit of fun with them and warm them up a bit and you know rather than be trying out new material that's what I was trying all the time I've got to have something new but no I think they know I do it they feel safe and yeah you, you say that you, you the MCing you do, and you do that obviously as Nessie Ward at the moment. I I will get people in to do the MCing for my comedy club, and the reason is is because I really want to concentrate on my set. I don't want to be this upbeat person who's trying to get an audience up for the next act or before the next act. Because yeah. I feel like for me at this this stage, it's really important for me to have maybe my five minutes in there, or the ten minutes in there, or the half an hour within. The, the comedy club that I do so I will get an MC in to do that because they're working on their MC and they want to do that whereas whereas from just just speaking with you I know that you've got that real warm sort of aura about you that would, would, would work really well in a comedy club and I look forward to coming along and yeah. whereas I've got Martin Westgate actually who's going to who's MC in my first my first oh, night he's, he's very good and I think I've got him next in March, I have, have you? him. And I know oh, yeah. he's a very good MC and a good promoter. Yeah, so. he is. He's um, a really nice guy. Yeah. yeah. So I really look forward to him coming along. I did the MCing course with Barry Ferns, who runs Angel Comedy oh, okay. Club. Yeah. yeah. And I think I learned so much from him. He said, just be puppy-like when you go on, be full of fun, high energy, you know, and... Yeah, I think that really helped me a lot because I'm not very good at asking people, oh, w- what do you do for a living and that? Because I don't ask people that in no, real life no. and I find that a bit tricky. But um, So sometimes I don't do that. You have it's, to genuinely care about asking. So if you, yeah. I, I never walk down the street. So what do you do for a living? Uh, then? Yeah, you know? I know. It just doesn't happen, does it? You, no. don't, you don't go to a stranger and just say, so what do you do for a job? No. What is your job? No, I know that's what I find a bit tricky, but... Um, yeah, his course was great. So yeah, tell, tell me a bit about tell me about bit about your comedy club. I'm very interested in the, the wine gums. When you said you've had some quite big names, yeah, I have. Yeah. I started off with Baby Wine Gums first here, and um, that's a little wine bar on Cherry Hinton Road, and that only had capacity of fifty four. But it was lovely. I loved that coziness. Um, and then they offered me Cambridge Wine Merchants offered me the Grad Pad where I could get about 100 in. Wow. So then I could, um, with the money, I could make more money. So then I could pay um, to get more kind of pros because pros I was asking for baby wine gums wouldn't come unless it was like £175. Um, well, one or two did come. So, yeah, I do have some big names coming that have been on live at the Apollo and I had Stuart Goldsmith in November, had Ian Stone. Um, I've got coming up on February the 2nd, I've got Mark Simmons. He does lots of puns. He's really good. I've had him about three or four times at different places I've organized. Um, And in the future, I was at Edinburgh Fringe this summer and I've got Rich Wilson, quite a few different really good ones on the on the lineups i'm fully booked up till june yeah. wow so what was the main reason you decided to set up wine gums there were oh, many reasons really um i think being retired and being older i needed something to keep me really busy keep the brain going and also to improve my emceeing skills and 
when I was running the say four or five clubs at one point last year, then yes, I was doing. Yeah, I was getting lots of stage time, and I can see that I have really improved. If I look back from when I first started, it, you can kind of I can cringe at some of my emceeing skills, but I am getting more relaxed about it. But I still think some people say it takes about six or seven years. To, yeah, yeah, to get really good at it. So, um, but no, I I'm not doing enough gigs at the moment. I always used to go down to London to open mic and everything, but but I'm not. But I'm trying to do at least one a week. One a week, yeah. Which, in some some people would say, that's obviously not enough. But yeah, if you're in London, then you've got so many everywhere, you can go yeah. to. But I go down on the train, come back. It was a lot. Really, it's expensive yeah. as well. You can do a lot of yeah. a lot of gigs for free and lose a lot of money doing it. Yeah, um, but it's nice to have. It's nice to have a local scene. We, we there is there is a bit of a scene in Cambridge for comedy, but he's there again. There's still a big difference between the open mic circuit and and the comedy club circuit. You know, like you say, well, you've with your comedy club, they booked up until June. So anyone coming out of sort of December last year would know, obviously, that there's six months of the next year that they're not going to be able to get. I do have open spots. And, like, I think most people on the Cambridge... Well, a lot of people on the Cambridge scene have, like, Bim's done an open spot. Um, Ali's had a, a proper spot. Um, and, and quite a Ruth... Uh, you know, a few of them have... I've opened it up for open spots as well so okay so you, yeah. you, do you book those in advance as well or, no you know? i just say so luke <laughs> so, <laughs> i've just i've just got myself a gig brilliant uh, how often does the wine games happen once a month first saturday of every month and then i was doing baby wine gums that was in the middle of the month but i'm not doing baby wine gums at the moment but i'm going to start it again so this is down at the Grad Pad, down by Scudamore's near the Mill pub. Oh, yeah. And it's a lovely, it's quite a long, thin room, wine bar, Cambridge Wine Merchant. And then it's all cabaret stars, you know, with tables and chairs, and they can have cheese and meat platters. Wow. And you can buy wine. Um, the, the room's not perfect, because it would be better wider. But, you know, I've bought a really good sound system. Wow. And I had a stage made, and... Yeah, I've, I've decorated. It's, it's like a really girly thing, but I've got loads of lips, so wine gums, you know, like yeah, the yeah, yeah. I have them all around, and I have loads of bunting and fairy lights. So you know, it's just a bit different, I think. So do you find the same the same people coming back every every month to come and watch comedy? I do have a lot of regulars, but there's yeah. always newcomers as well. Yeah, I'd say half and half, but l- some people come every month, which is lovely. So what's the format of the evening? How do you... Because I, I do a comedy club now and I have sometimes I have maybe 10 open acts and then two headline acts that close each half of the show. I mean, how do you, how do you, how do you format it? Okay, yeah. so we do start at half seven and we finish at ten. And I try to start bang on time. And um, doors are open at half six so people can get their drinks, the tables. I have their names on the table so they come in, they're guided to their table and um, give them a five-minute warning. And then I'm the MC. I warm them up a bit. Then we have the opener, who does 20 minutes. Uh, obviously, I've done the admin about that in the warm-up bit. And then we have a break for about quarter of an hour, 20 minutes. And in that break, I always do a little game. So they have um, a caption. I always get a, ca- a, f- a picture 
I put them on each table with a pencil and the com they write a caption under that. It might be something in the news. And then I give those captions to the comedians. They choose. So there might, 50 people might have done something and um, the comedians choose me five or six. And then when it's time to start again, they I read them out, but I have someone that's a clapometer and, ah. and the person that gets the biggest claps wins a bottle of wine for the caption. So that, that's oh, no. quite fun. And then we have the two middle spots. Sometimes I have three. It might be an open spot. And they either do 10 minutes or quarter of an hour. And then they have another break. And then we come back. And sometimes I play a game. Sometimes I do Mr. and Mrs., get some people up from the, from the audience. Or I do a funny thing they have to do. Like last time I said, I got four people up and they... I said, right, they're going, to have, they're going to throw something. I'm going to give you something, and you're going to throw it, and the person that throws it the furthest gets something. Everyone was a bit worried, you know. <laughs> and I said, but if, when they throw this thing, stand up wherever it goes. And people go, what, what? And then I gave them all a frozen peach. And they threw that. <laughs> and they threw that. And then the person that got it the furthest won um, a packet of wine gums. So ah. I do free wine gums on each table. Oh, I so there's see. There's a whole That's lot clever. of wine gums on How there. did the name come about? What was the... Um, well, because it was in Cambridge Wine Merchants, ah. we thought that we... My cousin and I, um, we thought about different names and uh, then eventually Last of the Summer Wine, or da, 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 and then we came up with wine gums and we asked the wine merchants which ones they liked best and we all agreed on wine gums. I, I think it's a really good yeah. name. Yeah. I, I do. Yeah, and then, then we have the headliner, and then it usually finishes about 10, and people can stay there if they want, because I think it, you have to be out about 11-ish. Yeah. So then okay. some people stay, and then they've had their cheese and meat platters if they want it, and yeah. It's a real nice, sounds like a really nice evening. Yeah. I'll have to come along even if I don't perform. Yeah. It's wine gums. I just wondered if you could get them to sponsor you. That would be quite handy, wouldn't it? Maynard's. I know yeah. Maynard's, because... Then I've been using all different wine gums, and sometimes I do things with that. But yeah. M and S wine gums are the best because Maynard still use pigs trotters or beef trotters for the oh, for the gelatine. <laughs> but in not but, very popular at the moment. But M and S, it's all pure stuff. So ah, okay. uh, they are more expensive. But, and then some of my prizes I give prosecco. I say, and there's prosecco to be won in this competition. Then I give them. Prosecco wine gums. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Maynard's. I mean, I had thought about that writing to Maynard's or, so, or to M&S wine gums. I don't know. Cause I, I would do M&S because if, if you... If it, I, I think wine gums, would, Maynard's would have to stop putting gelatin in. Yeah. In the, pretty soon because everyone's going mental at the moment over the vegan thing. And is, is wine gum something you consider doing for a long time? Is it because you did a lot of other... A lot of other comedy clubs before and you, you now just do the one and hopefully go back to baby wine gums as well. Is it something you plan to do for years to come? Or I don't know. I mean, my husband's still teaching. He's a little bit younger than me. Um, so it, it does keep me busy. I mean, I have a break for three months in the summer and then I didn't do January. So, um, and then other people asked me to run a comedy night for them, like schools asked me for a for a fundraiser so I do that and um, 
Yeah, lots of little other than in a music festival on the south coast. They asked me to organise that and it's in a forest. So oh, wow. so that's nice. So some of the comedians that I come across that I think would suit that, then um, I can book them for that as well. So, you know, there's possibilities for my comedians. I can get them other spots somewhere else as well. Um, but I don't know how long I'll do it. I'll just see how long. I think it's good for my brain to be doing something, you know, and working on jokes and doing this organisation because as you get older, your brain sh shrinks, your memory goes, and <laughs> but it, the plasticity of it can reorganise, so this professor told me. So and he, when I said I was doing this, he said, oh, that's great for the brain. It will reorganise it and keep it active. So it's for, for medicinal purposes. <laughs> yeah. So how much how much does it cost to get in? Just just for our listeners um, to know. At the moment, it's thirteen pounds. And the next one is on Saturday, the second of the February. And then it's every the first Saturday of every month. Yes. Brilliant! I'll be there. If for any any comedians um, starting out now, I mean, I I listen to comedians, comedians, and I absolutely love it, and it really really helped me coming into comedy um, to do it. I've been writing and acting and stuff for many years, but it really, really did help me get some advice and actually make me feel better about the times that I died on stage because you see that everyone's done it. Everyone's tried tried something new or done something new and then and then it just didn't work and then you, you go home a little bit down about it and you go and do it again and it works again somewhere else. So if, for anyone who's on the fence about starting out, what what would you say? What would you advise? What's the one bit of advice you'd give to someone? Coming into comedy at a really early stage. Coming into comedy, um, I would think um, just writing anything down, it doesn't have to be funny, and then you start working on that. And I do think going on a course or getting a book um, that gives you exercises to do. I know, um, yeah, Logan Murray. I'm Logan Murray. Mar he's you written plug a book, How to Be a Stand Up. But there's loads of exercises there. But there's, you know, lots of books that can give you ideas to help. Um, yeah. Because I have met lots of people who think, oh, that, and I think I was the same, you think you're funny, but then, but just getting up and saying a funny story isn't this, quite the same no. as doing stand up. So um, I think a course if you can afford it or get one of the, a book that gives you exercises yeah. to do and then just be practicing different things and as you say uh, record it and then listen to it and transcribe it and again Barry Fern always said a couple of years ago he said to our group you'll never be any funnier than you are now it's true isn't it yeah. and he said and it's all a matter of editing what you're writing it's, you know, changing a word here, changing a word there. And that's, you know... And, yeah, and it's that, simply moving a pause in, yeah, in, a, in a set. It, it you know. is. And, I mean, I have been on quite a lot of courses. And there's someone else I went on a course, and he said, just when I tell him some things I do, he said, is that true? And I said, well, some of it is. And he said, well, it should all be true. And then other people you go on courses, they don't... don't you know they have different ideas you know mm. um so so that's interesting i do a bit of a cross most of my stuff is kind of true and then you you exaggerate it oh, of course yeah. yeah the other thing the other thing that i found difficult as a comedian and i, I this has become a bit of like a, an advice column for myself really but i'm sure any 
comedians listening would, would also appreciate it, is that you go from the open mic nights, and I struggled with open mic nights because I struggled to turn music audiences. And I did manage it, and it did work. But how do you... I mean, you're, you're a promoter yourself with, like, wine gums. How would you advise someone to go from absolutely nothing or no name or no image of them to doing a gig like yours is it just luck or is it if if you're in a in an open mic night and you see a good comedian you can obviously book them to that's what i have done like um there's the open mic that um two of the cambridge comedians do it the Bim. tram depot first last oh yeah and some of the people have come up from london to do that or you know and then i think oh that would go down well and i've had them at baby i had them at baby Baby Wine Gums or yeah. Thirsty or the one I did in Deal. So, yeah, wherever I am, if I see someone really good, I, I, I try to book them, yeah. This has probably been overdone so many times on podcasts, or comedy podcasts particularly. And at the moment, there's a real big thing going on about female comedians. And now you're often seeing on... on you're seeing, like, Live at the Apollo, all girls, where they've, they what they've done, they've plucked sets from all different Live of the Apollos and put them into one show and then produce an all-girls show. I, I've never, ever in my life looked at comedy as male or female. I just think that at a particular time there have just been more male comedians than female comedians. I just wondered how you found... Have you found any sort of discrimination in you being a female comedian going into comedy at all? No, I don't think so. You haven't? I haven't, and I always... I very rarely have had just a male uh, lineup. Yeah. I think it's maybe in the three years I've been doing it, maybe once or twice, and then I have to say something. I say, you know, this is unusual, <laughs> but it's all male. But but I always have women on the lineup. Yeah. But I, I myself haven't found any issues in that sense. No, no, I haven't. I think if you're good, you're good. And. Whether you're male or female, if you're a great comedian, you'll be recognised as a great comedian. I think our listeners will agree this has been a, a really, really great conversation. I just want one last question, really, and that is, uh, what, is what does 2019 hold for you? What's your plan for this year? Well, um, I've got a few things in the pipeline, Luke. Obviously, each month I've got wine gums, the first Saturday of each month, and I'm mostly booked up with those up till June and then I have a three month break I want to get out there and do more um open mic myself um and develop my granny smith um also I've been asked to do a few other comedy nights just one-offs in some schools so um I'm going to do that and I want to get some more set written work and more comedy written as well but also, I want to do some other things. I've got to do my allotment because I'm getting kicked off my allotment. <laughs> so I've got to get up there and get digging as well and plant things there and spend time with my granddaughter. So I've got to do... I've got to have a more balanced kind of life, whereas before it was running six comedy clubs, which then turned out to be more stressful than teaching. So... Um, that's, That's quite plan. a statement. More <laughs> stressful than teaching. It was almost, yeah. Um, so I'm trying to balance it all out a bit more now. Thank you very much for, for talking to me, Nessie. I yeah. appreciate it. That's been lovely, Luke. Thanks very much. 
Well, what a fantastic conversation I have with Nessie Ward. There you have it. That's the first episode of The Comedian's Outlook. I know that in the podcast we advertise her wine gums for the 2nd of February. That's obviously now passed, but she has got an up- upcoming night coming on the 2nd of March. That's a Saturday too. And I actually went down to the wine gums after this ep- after after I had this conversation with her on the 2nd and it was a fantastic night. I really recommend going. That's £13 and she does that monthly. She always has really professional comedians and they're absolutely hilarious. So it's so worth going down there. They do cheese platters, meat platters and all sorts. It's a really good venue and a really good night. This is a free podcast, so if you do feel generous enough to, to donate a couple of quid, you can go to www.lukeanthonycomedy.co.uk forward slash podcast, and there's a donate button there. Click that and just donate as much as you can. This allows me to carry on all the admin fees and getting some great comedians around to talk to, and, and also uh, hiring out the studio that we hire out. So yeah, thanks for listening. Hello, I'm Luke Anthony. Do you love hearing about the stars, careers, lives and mental health? Well, Meet the Stars is a brand new podcast all about that. Join me every week from Wednesday the 2nd of December for an excellent conversation with a different star each episode. Simply go over to members.starevents.online to become a member which gives you exclusive access to every episode and so many other brilliant features just for you. See you there.